0: Hey everyone. I guess I want to start at the very beginning of my podcast by talking about my life in China. Um, and I spent six years in China. I was an ESL teacher. I spent two years in Hunan province in the city of Henyang, which is just some kind of well, decent sized factory city, kind of like a Detroit or a Pittsburgh. But with a lot of agriculture, a lot of pigs, a lot of rice, it's kind of like central region Chinese farmland. Um, there, I basically was an ESL teacher at a technical college, where they were teaching kids basically how to be salespeople on Alibaba and or you know work with wholesalers and stuff. And I got to experience kind of real life China in the farm country, and it was kind of. It was interesting for sure. I mean, these were the types of Chinese people who were generally smaller. They lived from an ag- they came from an agricultural background. They ate almost anything because they were Hunan people and they had their own type of dialect and they had um their food was particularly spicy compared to many other regions. I actually preferred Hunan food in comparison to Shanghai food. Due to the fact that Hunan food used quite a bit of peppers and chilies and and garlic and stuff. Compared to where Shanghai food I find just really boring. Almost as bad as like Panda Express. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Panda Express is just okay. But I would take Hunan food or Beijing food or Sichuan food made in those countries any day of the week over... Um, The food of Shanghai and Panda Express. And also, LA Chinese food. Some places are good. I feel like it's kind of mediocre. Maybe it's forced to be a little bit on the mediocre side due to the fact... And I'm going to blame white people on this one. And I am a white person. That a lot of white people just can't handle spicy food. And they like kind of like boring, mundane food. Fair enough. And those are the customers, you know. So I don't want to be hard on... Chinese people and the food that they make from different regions or whatever. But sometimes if you're selling to a crowd and the customer just wants to style of food and you even think it's boring, though, you got to make it for them. Um, but anyways, sorry to digress. Yeah, the people of Hunan made, ate a lot of foods. There was mostly like fish, duck, um, pork was the main meats, and they ate plenty of different kinds of vegetables. One of the most common vegetables was generally like carrots. And um, bamboo shoots. And they ate a lot of lotus pods. Um, I remember eating things like praying mantis, grasshopper, on times. Most of the time I ate stuff like noodles with a fried egg and some seaweed in there. Maybe sprinkled with some roasted peanuts. That was a really common type of like a noodle soup. Um, I would eat fried chicken legs with chili peppers thrown on there. Um, pig's blood jelly. Was actually a really common dish, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, there was a type of small eel-like fish called a loach, which they would deep fry. Um, sometimes you see on TikTok videos, you'll see these Chinese farmers, start basically in the rice paddies and the mud flats, and they're digging out things like clams and snails and loaches and other types of fish. And that's the kind of stuff that they would eat in this kind of rural agricultural part of China. They ate a lot of like. Clams and snails and other creatures like that. Of course, with rice and with things like lotus pod and bamboo shoot as common vegetables. Um, generally, the food was pretty satisfying. It was pretty spicy and I enjoyed it. I would say compared to like American fast food, it definitely had a bit of a more of a spice. If you like kind of spicy Mexican food, this would be the province for you. Uh, Hunan province is the region where Mount Sedong came from. So this is the area where uh, Mao himself basically started life, and it was also instrumental as one of the first provinces to turn to the Chinese Communist Party when they were having a revolution against the Chinese Nationalist Party, which is the Gomingdong, who are now officially – well, they were the ruling party of Taiwan. Um, the Chinese nationalists or the Chinese republicans who were basically the capitalist Chinese suffered multiple defeats from the Chinese communist guerrillas who lived in the mountains of places like Hunan, Yunnan, um, w- Wubei, wait, the Hunan and Hubei and other regions that were kind of up in the mountains. This is where a lot of the guerrilla fighters basically spent their time and staging ambushes and stuff. And Mao Zedong and his guerrilla fighters eventually developed a style of warfare that even the basically the uh, the um, the Viet the Viet Cong learned to perfect. So this is a style of you know lightning quick jungle raids and forest raids coming out of the mountains with machine gun infantry, uh, all manner of punji traps, all manner of various types of traps put throughout all the whole place that basically can wind up get traps inside traps. Like, you think you disarmed a, a landmine, and then that actually sets off a hand grenade trap in the ground. Crazy things like that. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. There was a holy mountain not so far away, which was great for exercise. It was called Hengshan, and it actually was like one of the lesser holy mountains of China. So, when you think of um, a classic Kung Fu mountains of Ermei Shan and Wudong Shan, um, and uh, Songshan, Songshan is the classic Kung Fu mountain, but there's also Ermeishan and uh, Wudongshan. Wudongshan is in Wuhan, where supposedly the coronavirus originated from. So yeah, uh, during my time of living in Hunan, I did get to travel to Wuhan and I did get to travel to Guangxi and, uh, and Yunnan. So that was some interesting, some trips. Aside from that, whew, gosh... My, my first two years of living in China, Hunan was first. I met quite a few people who were in the Communist Party. Yeah, I did, you know, I, I would say I suffered some discrimination. Um, not every Chinese, but there are some Chinese people who really just dislike all foreigners due to the history of China, you know, is that basically China just got chopped into a bunch of pieces by foreign imperialists and were conquered and overrun by them. And so there's still a lot of resentment to any type of foreigner, honestly. They're all seen as kind of invaders and imperialists. And it's kind of sad because sometimes like, you know, yeah, I get the history is ugly and I get that there's still superpower European nations that have this kind of predatory nation to this day. But as me personally, individually as a foreigner – man i don't i I'm well aware of those policies, I think they're bad, and I support the you know people around the world for basically you know saying that they're wicked they're bad and opposing them. I get it, but I don't want to be guilty or you know be insulted called a fat pig or insult you know basically ridiculed for for the evil policies of a country that I don't even have a say in you know what I mean. You could say, well, you're American, but it was kind of like, you know, bro, I'm American, but what what power do I have? You know, I'm just an ESL teacher. Like, get off my case, you know? So, um, you know, this was a time period when I was there when anti-Americanism was really rampant. And I understand why, because it was like right after the time period of George Bush was just right out of office and they elected Obama. And so the whole world is very negative on America, because of that, and so I don't, I didn't know what to say. You know, it's just like, hey, man, look, a lot of you guys, your arguments are right, but why do you got to bully me individually? Um, so, it wasn't just the Chinese. the Chinese weren't that bad about it. Most Chinese were pretty nice. Some of the worst people about it were like the Europeans. Oh yeah, when I used to travel to Guangzhou, which was about maybe two hundred miles, but really fast by the the really good fast trains in China. Um, when I was in Guangzhou, I basically like, would have to sometimes talk to foreign, would just Europeans, and Europeans would always, like, not all of them, but a lot of them were really rabidly anti-American, and I mean, I kind of got it, but it also got to the point where it was just bigotry, you know? Also anti-Muslim, there was a lot of Islamophobia back about a decade ago, and it was, like, unfair, because a lot of Muslims were just good people who were just minding their business, you know, like... I get where kind of the bigotries come from. There are negative people, generally a minority, but the loudest of the minority in every population, who basically totally are avatars of all those negative stereotypes. the tra- The unfun, the unfair thing about bigotry, though, is that just because there's a few people who are like that doesn't mean that everyone from that culture is that way, and it is unfair. It's basically. Prejudice to prejudge somebody, to accuse them of all the wrongdoings of said group. So, yeah. Um, sorry, this is my first podcast, so I'm just talking to myself here. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I learned a lot about China. I learned a lot about import and export when I was living there, how people purchased a lot of stuff wholesale in Alibaba, other things like that. It was really fascinating. Um I'm still planning to go over to China sometime and do import-export with them today. Just because it's such a good business to get into. Um, aside from that, I mean, I don't even know what else to say. Um, it was a good time, so. Definitely, there was a lot of, you know, there was some very difficult times and I witnessed quite a bit of human suffering. Um, and it's not, I'm not just trying to blame the the government of China. Because sometimes the government of China had just the hardest job to do managing 1.4 billion people is almost a headache and a lot of these people have no respect for laws and you know are just kind of farm people who just do whatever the hell they want and you know pollute wherever they wish and and so there was times where the government had to be pretty strict on them you know um there's also many local governments who just pay lip service to the head federal government you know i think a lot of people have the wrong perception of china they think that china ...is like some vast dictatorship with a bunch of weak-willed little bureaucrats at the bottom. In reality, China does have a powerful autocrat and he plays a role. But there is also a very real Senate and they do write all kinds of laws. The big difference between their system and our system is that in our system we have two parties... ...and there's some level of visibility or clearness with what's kind of going into the government. If you go into China, when you become part of the Communist Party, it's already like a closed kind of government. And, like, they don't mind talking to people from the outside and gleaming some good ideas, but there's kind of like a filtering process, if you'd say, where there's a lot of bad ideas that they, they feel are bad ideas that they don't support. Um, also, many of the local governments of China... Are elected from this kind of local communist parties. And they have their own internal power system. And they don't always work. They sometimes work very well with the federal government from Beijing. But in many ways they um, kind of have their own autonomy, Their own ways that they run their provinces. And it's kind of like the states in many ways. Like where each province has its own leader and its own rules and everything. Um, You could be in Guangxi province, and the local people literally put marijuana into all the food. But if you were to bring in, like, let's say a certain amount of marijuana into Guangzhou or the major cities, you could get punished and sometimes all the way up even to death. Um, the punishments are going to be pretty severe in the big cities of China, uh, where, the like you would say, the more traditional hand Communist Party rules compared to the more provincial regions, which are ruled by, you know, maybe let's say ethnic groups, some of them slightly more corrupt in connection with drug dealers in Cambodia. Um, Like Yunnan and Guangxi province probably has a lot more of that than you could say of the major cities in China. So um, yes, the Chinese in many ways do have a kind of republic that is their own and they do have multiple organs of their government and in many ways, they do the same mundane types of tasks that the American government does. Um, they build roads. They build bridges. They just kind of like the basic job of the said government. Now, if people want to talk about corruption, yes, of course, there's corruption in China. But it's bizarre that people want to point the finger and say, oh, look, there's only corruption in China and then completely ignore all the corruption like in the US military or even in the big inner city school systems or the big inner city Democrat governments which don't even take care of their own minority people and, and you know like Detroit and Chicago and stuff. So like it's almost to the point when Americans accuse the Chinese of being corrupt. This is like two I said it is an expression. These are like two fat, tacky bitches at a bar calling the other a fat, tacky bitch. And it's like, yeah, you look at the mirror. Many ways, America's actually as corrupt, if not way more corrupt than the Chinese. Like, especially with the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, that was basically just like a giant Ponzi. I don't even know how to describe it. That was just a ginormous waste of money. At least the Chinese had the common sense to cut down on their military and build up a ton of infrastructure to allow industrialism to bloom. And they have – they are the world's factory and not in a bad way either. Like almost anything you can imagine is really manufactured in China. They are masters of manufacturing. My goodness. I have seen so many products that come out of China. And of all different kinds of colors, and the, the the quality ranges all over the place, from real just garbage quality to all the way to actually pretty decent. Like, I would say facsimiles of um you know some of the most finest European products. So they are like their industry is top gear. And I'm not surprised their economy is just thrumming. Like they have a great economy in China and it's not hard to make money. Even as an English teacher, you can just start as an English teacher and then become an import-export guy or start up some type of factory. Let's just say making tomato paste for like like pizza, that will make you money because Chinese really actually have a taste for pizza. You know, you could have like, you know, they assemble so much stuff in China. They assemble clothing for African women in China. And they have whole warehouses that just crank out traditional African women's clothes. And I mean, on all manner of colors and shapes and designs and everything, it's nuts. Um, Yeah, China's a fascinating place. Um, Aside from that, boy, what else is there to say? Um, You have gangs in China. They, I mean, I wouldn't say they're as bad as like L.A. gangs because they don't have guns per se, but they can still be dangerous. They ride motorcycles, they have knives, swords sometimes even. It's pretty crazy the kind of violence that can happen. Um, Gosh, I have so many stories to tell, so many. Um, But I would say that the majority of the Chinese government... Seems that actually kind of, you know, it cares about progressing and becoming more modern. And it's kind of cool how, like, energy they've put into a very... And this is kind of a concept I'd like to share. Is that in any system, there's a very pragmatic level of socialism and capitalism. And these things are not complete opposites. At the more pragmatic levels, they actually complement each other in many ways. So... Um, I can't think of a country that's 100% pure capitalist and 100% pure communist. And the Chinese are not really communist anymore. There are some communist policies or socialist ideals that they still hold on to that make China very efficient and pragmatic in the, the overall kind of wholesale. It's hard to say. Like they have very cheap public transit. They also have very fast public transit. They have um bullet trains all over China, and they operate really well. And you don't need a car in China, unlike America, where just traveling down from Los Angeles to San Diego can be a fucking ha- – like a hassle. In China, it's not a hassle. The fast train will take you there instantaneously. Um, not well, not literally instantaneous, but yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, there are charter buses all over China. This is like the Greyhound, but they almost operate all the time. Uh, charter buses operate, fast trains operate, and then there's flights between major Chinese cities, um, and then there's cheap taxis. There's so many services. So, And also, hostels and workers' hotels are very affordable, and they're all over China. All of these things uh, make traveling and getting around China really affordable. Um, one could be a laborer. One could be a teacher. They could find a cheap place to live, like a cheap, cheap motel or a cheap, cheap hostel. Housing is not expensive. Um, there are some parts of China that have had suffered a housing bubble. And you can kind of blame this, again, on runaway capitalism. Um, it's The interesting thing is you can see a fusion of the good sides of capitalism and the good sides of communism, or at least pragmatic socialism. In a place like Guangzhou, where the you have cheap hostels to live in, there's cheap workers' motels and and, and apartment complexes that are not expensive there's um, plenty of jobs and there's um it is so easy to just kind of start up a business, become a businessman, <laughs> do import and export, you know get a business license. And there's so many products that are manufactured in the great city of Guangzhou, which is called Canton in the old Cantonese term. And like you can rent space in a shipping container because they understand that it's kind of like the Chinese understand that sometimes a merchant can't fill up an entire container, but they need a certain amount of space in a container. All of this is just easy to do. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, Well, of course, it costs some money, but it's not going to break the bank. It's more affordable than buying a house or a car. I mean a new car or a new house in, in America costs way more money than actually just like filling up half a container with like, I don't know, clothes or something or, I mean, you know, <clears throat> restaurant machinery or whatnot. So there's some really cool sides to China. Like definitely I got to say the average person can make a living in China and – um and in some ways, that's the nice fusion of practical socialism. And I would call myself a capitalist when I was living there, because I was focused on making my own business and importing and export. And I still was cool with the very practical, efficient levels of socialism that made society so efficient there that not everyone had to be stuck in goddamn traffic, that the public transit was an absolute shit filled with criminals, you know, that there was secret police everywhere. That's actually a good thing. I like the fact that China has a lot of secret police, Um, that you know, people can come and go freely, and people can find affordable housing and not just go bankrupt paying rent. These things were pretty awesome about China. I think that's – the pollution was the only thing that really bothered me. Um, But I think they're working on that right now with Xi Jinping because apparently there's this huge project to do a lot of reforestation and going green. Um, but I would like to talk about that policy at another time. Anyways, um, guys, thank you for listening. These are some of my thoughts on at least the first two years I lived in China. I'll try to address the next last four years maybe in two different sections, but um, if you guys like what you hear, just tell me more down below, and I could go on to detail about the foods, the like the weird quote-unquote foods, which are pretty common for me now. Um, and how I basically have the spicy stomach of like a Latino or an Indian person because I lived in China for so long that eating spice is just not even a problem anymore. But uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I better wrap this up because this is my first kind of experimental podcast. But um yeah, I would hope for you guys like leave me some input. Tell me what you guys feel. And um, I'd like to hear more. All right. Bye. And uh, yeah, I would definitely like to make more material for you guys. So bye.